Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 181 and today I have my daughter Imogen with me and we've got a few things that we're going to talk about, catch you up on our news, talk a little bit about writing, uh, other things that we've been doing and we will probably be talking about the things that we've been watching and reading. Welcome to my podcast Imogen. Thank you for having me back. It's been a while. Oh, it's been a while, all right. October, I think. I had a look. I couldn't even remember what number episode we were up to. But we finished on a round number, didn't we? 180. And now we're at 181, so we'll probably have to go for another nine episodes after this just to get to another round number. We probably will. I guess that we might not even have any listeners left, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) It's been so long. And when we sat down a few minutes ago, we looked at each other, didn't we? And we thought, what do we do now? We've forgotten what we do. What do I say at the beginning of a podcast? How do we set up the equipment? Yes, it's been a while. Now, do you know why we're doing a podcast today? Why are we doing a podcast today? Well, first of all, you have the day off work. That's been a problem, hasn't it? Coordinating, what's the word? Coordinating our time. That's right. (laughs) Can't get the words out this morning. Yes, finding time where both you and I are available because I'm finding it really difficult to find topics to talk about by myself. I feel that I've, yes, talked about everything to death and you bring a new spark of life to my podcast. That's why I love having you. But... Um, When we sit down and talk together, I really enjoy talking to you, but I wonder sometimes, is it self-indulgent? Yes, we're enjoying chatting together, but does anybody like listening to us? Well, I hope so, because otherwise that's quite a reflection on me. Nobody likes listening to me, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I meant. No. But we get, well, we did have very little feedback about the episodes that we did together, So I wasn't quite sure. So that was one reason that we haven't been podcasting. And the other one is that we both have been concentrating on other things. And we're going to get on to that in a minute. But it was maybe two or three days ago, maybe three or four days ago, somebody in our unschooling community had just listened to episode 180. That was Noel. Hi, Noel. And she said, are we making any more podcasts? And I said, not at the moment. I said that I'm busy doing other things and maybe I'd get back to it one day. And anyway, she gave us some good feedback about episode 180 and said that she and her daughter liked listening to our conversations. And it's amazing, isn't it? isn't it Imogen, how you can feel so encouraged by some positive feedback. And I felt like rushing up, rushing out and getting my computer set up. And I did come and see you, didn't I? (laughs) Imogen, Imogen, somebody wants to listen to us. How do you feel about making some more podcasts with me? What did you say? I said, yes, yes, I'd make more podcasts with you. (laughs) Okay, so that's what we're doing. Now, I I doubt if we'll be podcasting every week, but maybe every couple of weeks if we get going again. Yeah, mm, I think we could manage that. Right, so where have we been? What have we been doing? I'm looking at my list of questions here. 
Uh, we've been doing other things, haven't we? We have. Sometimes you have to stop doing certain things to concentrate on doing the ones that are really important at the moment. Yes, I'm very good at having dozens and dozens of things on the go at once. And I move from one to the other and either I get overwhelmed by them all and don't want to do anything or I never come to the end of any projects. Do you understand that? Yes, because you're spreading yourself so thin that there's no time to do any deep work on one particular thing. And in particular, I've been wanting to finish a children's novel that I began a long time ago. We might have talked about that in episode 180. I mean, that episode was so long ago, and I've forgotten half of what we talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, vague memories. But I am fairly certain that we did talk about that in the last couple of episodes and we said that we would give updates in the next in the next couple, in the next episodes. So here we are like four months later, we're going to give you some updates. Oh, updates, updates are good, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah, so I stopped, um, I stopped doing, trying to do everything and I've been focusing on just a few things. And top of my list is our unschooling community and I want to talk about that a little bit later. And the other thing is my children's novel. And I haven't really been blogging and obviously not podcasting. And I really get a post up on Instagram maybe once every four weeks or six (laughs) weeks. Oh, I don't know. That's been terrible to you. So what have you been working on, Imogen? Let's start with you. Oh, let's start with me. I've been working on my next um, fantasy novel. Uh, which is a spin-off from my first um, from my first duology and I've been working on trying to finish the next round of edits on that because when I finish that I'm hopefully able to send that off to beta readers which is really exciting because it means that I'm coming to the end of the actual writing process and I always love getting to the end of having to make big changes to anything just being able to polish it polish it up and make it sound nice and read properly and it's like that's just my the best part of the book. So what's your book called? It's currently called Nameless. Title always subject to change when someone else gives me a better one because I am very, very bad at naming things. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that the book is nameless. No, that's no. something I always have to clarify when I'm talking about it. It's like, it's called Nameless. It doesn't mean it doesn't have a name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, titles are tricky, aren't they? So if you want to say anything else about that one, I think beta reader stage is very exciting and I'm looking forward to reading it too because will I be one of your beta readers? Absolutely. <laughs> you're top of my list. I, I have certain people I don't even ask anymore. I just send I just send them the book and you're one of them. And what about the girls? Are they reading it? Yes, they're, they're also at the top. So I have the girls, I have you, I have a couple of friends who have already put themselves down. They keep asking, do you have something for me to read yet? Do you have something for me to read yet? And I'm like, almost, almost, give me another week or so. I've got to get this done. Writing novels is a lot of hard work, but I also think beta reading is hard work too. When uh, an author's waiting for feedback and you want to give them good feedback, and so you go through it very carefully. What do you think about that? Yeah, there's there's definitely um, a lot of like skill actually goes into beta reading, I feel, because some people, when they beta read, they just read the book through and like, oh yeah, I liked that. And it's like, cool, that doesn't give me anything to go off. It's like, it, was there something that stuck out to you that, you that you didn't like? Was it slow in this section? Was there an inconsistency? I'm not asking, did you like it or not? I'm asking, what needs to be fixed? And so whenever I'm beta reading... It's something you've always got to keep in mind. It's like, what sort of feedback are they looking for? 
personally, when I've got beta readers and when I'm beta reading for someone, I always like to have a list of questions. So most of my beta readers will get a list of questions about the things that I specifically want them to think about so I can be sure I'm getting the right sort of feedback. It's like, okay, I want to ask, you know, does this... Do any characters sort of disappear off the page after a while? Were there any scenes that were so boring that you decided you want to put the book down? You know, that sort of thing. Because otherwise, what people think beta reading is, is looking for typos and grammar problems. It's like, no, that's not where we're up to in this. That's not why I sent it to you. I want to know, is there a problem with the actual plot of the story and the way it's being told? The rest of it I'm going to fix later. Well, maybe somebody reads your book and they think, it's perfect. And so they say, oh, I really loved it. How about that? I mean, that's always wonderful to get that feedback. But And, you know, if that's genuine, that would be the best sort of feedback I could get. I'd just, just probe and go, yeah, was there anything that you thought I might need to change? You know, just feel it out a bit first, just to be sure. Because I, I don't tend to take positive feedback just on face value. I'm like, there's got to be something here. Nothing's ever perfect, you know. <laughs> Well, I'm hoping to, that when I send my book out this week to a few people, I would love them to send me feedback saying, perfect, no changes whatsoever. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the dream. I think if every single one of my beta readers told me that, I'd be, I'd be happy to accept it. But I think I have less trust in myself and my own writing to, to just blindly say, oh, yeah, that means it's, that means it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about beta readers, Beta reading for an author is that you've got to be very encouraging with your feedback. It's got to be very positive, not necessarily all good, but you've got to be constructive. That's the word. Yes, because you can just come into your beta reading, you know, swinging your big hammer and going, okay, well, this was wrong and this was wrong and you need to look at this and this is a thing. It's like, that's very disheartening to look at and I've had I've certainly had a couple of people in the past who they're very blunt and very honest with their feedback and they don't phrase it in a way that makes you really think about it and it's not that we want to be made to feel that our books are perfect because that's not the point of sending it out to beta readers but it's that you want to feel that even though there's something that you could be looking at and maybe fixing um, that it's got potential And if you come in and just like, this is wrong and this is wrong and you need to fix this, all you're seeing now are just negatives. And you're like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have sent this book out. Maybe it's not ready. Maybe it's not worth it. Whereas constructive criticism is like, have you thought about this thing? Or I wasn't quite convinced by this. Um, But I loved that. Yeah. And it's like a mix of things that you thought they did well and things that they could potentially look at, but not prescriptively just saying this was bad because just saying this was bad also just doesn't give you anything to go off it's like why didn't you enjoy this it's like if you if you know why you didn't enjoy this put that in and go well I thought that I I thought maybe you know this was a little bit unbelievable because of this and if you don't know like I'm not sure why this didn't click with me but in this scene I wasn't convinced by this and then people and and then it's constructive gives you something to go off it's like okay something's not working here and either they've given you a a place to start or or they've just been honest and like I'm not really sure what wasn't working I just know that it wasn't clicking for me and like okay maybe there's something in there that I need to look at rather than just being like nah this was bad yes um what's I gonna say about that oh um 
I was just remembering a time when we did some beta reading for Father Tierney, Father James Tierney, his Bush Boy books. Yes. And he was really open to suggestions, wasn't he? He was. And do you remember one of his, uh, what were they called, the bad guys? And they're racing along and they, did they go through a river or a creek and they had a phone in their pocket? And this was the days before there were mobile, um, waterproof mobile phones. And we said afterwards, well, Father, uh, did he have his uh, phone in his pocket? Do you think it would have got wet? Because he (laughs) takes it out straight away and starts using it, doesn't he, on the other side? And he laughed and said, oh, I never even thought about that. (laughs) So he says, I think I'll invent the first waterproof mobile phone. This was years ago. And uh, he covered that one, didn't he? He did, yes. (laughs) So it is good to have people point out things that you don't, might not see. And quite often, things are in our heads, aren't they? We understand it. It's in our head, but we've forgotten to write it on the page. Yes, you've got all the background and all the context and you know everything. So you don't always remember whether it's on the page to, for everyone else to understand properly, which is why the outside opinion is always so important. And I have a problem also with I'm changing names as I go through. <laughs> I've done that. And then you realise that um, somewhere there's a... For example, there's Helen, maybe, and you've changed the name to Olivia somewhere further down the track, and the Helen's still there, and people are thinking, who's this Helen? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so my book, I finished it yesterday. I was excited, wasn't I? Yes. <laughs> I've been working a lot on it recently instead of blogging. And, oh, it's so exciting yesterday. I've been almost finished for about a month, I think, and I keep changing words and keep going back and oh it's so hard to let go and say it's done yes I know the feeling (laughs) but yesterday evening I said it's done but as you said I haven't done the grammar and punctuation checks yet so if it goes out to people I hope that nobody comes back and says there needs a comma here and a full stop there and you know that sort of thing I usually cover that in like my opening statement whenever I send people stuff I'm like so what I'm looking for is help on this I'm not looking for grammar typos you know odd phrasing I'm literally just looking for this so don't send me that stuff (laughs) because otherwise that's what people send you all the time and I was like I don't want this right now I can fix that (laughs) well you think you can fix it because do you send it out again for punctuation because I've done punctuation for you I don't send it out to other people I keep that one in family I for, for outside people I really only want their story opinions as readers um and the Because it's not much point going through all the punctuation at a stage where you're going to change stuff because the punctuation will change if you're going to eliminate sentences and swap things around, isn't it? Well, exactly. And I also think that going through and proofreading it for grammar and punctuation is too big a job for me to to ask people to do for free outside of family. You know, family will help you. Um, And if someone in the family said, no, I don't have time for this, like, that's fair enough. But if they're willing to help, then obviously I want that help. But just to give to a friend and go, hey, can you proofread this entire thing with your microscope? That'll take you, you know, six weeks to do and leave you no time to do your own stuff. And can you do it for me for free? I don't really feel like that's fair. (laughs) No, No, but we can do it for each other. But we're very grateful. I mean, we can say that... uh, We might not get the right feedback, but we're very grateful for anybody who does read our books and comments on it in some way. Exactly. And and I don't think I've ever really had a beta reader who's given me feedback that was 100% useless. 
like sometimes you get conflicting feedback and then you know someone's like I love this and someone's like I hate this and it's like okay that's personal preference some people don't give you much at all but usually everybody gives you like one nugget that you can take away and go okay well either I know I'm doing this well and I could just bump that up a bit or I know that's fine or this bit might not be quite working get one thing from them and as long as you get even one thing out of a beta reader I feel like it's worth it but also I think you have to go with your own uh, judgment in the end because our books aren't going to please everybody and somebody might have say well I think you should do it this way or that way and if it doesn't feel right for you I think we have to say no I'm going to do it my way yeah like only you know the story that you're trying to tell so while other people can give their suggestions you've got to have that final call you can't just do what everybody says because the the book that would result would actually please nobody but I also think you've got to be humble as well oh yeah because sometimes yeah many times other people's ideas are very good and I think I've got to be open to another way of looking at it yeah and say look I thought I was doing a good job but yeah that's a great idea I hadn't thought of that one and swap things around a bit Mm. I usually combat that because my beta feedback never comes in all at once I usually get them you know in dribs and drabs so usually I read through their feedback once and then I just save it all into one spot on my computer like right I'm going to compile this all when I have every bit of feedback so I've read it all through as we're going but I'm not doing anything I'm just letting it sit and think about it Because I think for a lot of people, I know the first response is to be like, no, that's not wrong. Oh, you just didn't read that right. You missed this. So it's fine. It's very defensive. Yeah. Especially when you get people who maybe aren't as kind in their phrasing of their feedback. Not necessarily that their feedback's bad, just that, you know, they've been a little bit more brutally honest than than you would have liked. And you want to sweep it all away and say they don't know anything. I know better, but if you get past the uh, abrupt words, sometimes they do have a good point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, usually, usually they have a good point, but you sort of got to give yourself a, a little bit of distance from that first and go, okay, now I can deal with this. Well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to deal with any criticism of my book. <laughs> <laughs> the Angels of Wallaby Way. I have been working on it for years and it is finished and I want people to say, it's perfect because I don't want to change anything. <laughs> Oh, it's been so hard work that I feel like I've come to the end and yeah, that feeling, you just don't want to go back and it's like, I've, I've been through it so many times. I just don't want to do one more round. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but then again, as you say, get some feedback. I'll leave it a little while and we look at it. Well, the other thing is that while it's with your beta readers, you won't be working on it because there's no point working on it while while people are going to give you feedback because if you change anything, then then they give you feedback. It's like, well, now this is just useless feedback. So you get a break. And so if there is something to change, you've had, you know, a few weeks away from it. It's like, okay, I could fix this now. Yeah, well, also I need a bit of time because Charlotte's going to do the illustrations for me. Yes. I've got 25 chapters in the book, so she has to do 25 illustrations which I can't sort of say Charlotte do them all really quickly for me she's I gotta give her time yes so that's fine but if what I really are hoping for Imogen it's not that I want I'm I'm loath to have criticism but I want to please a few people yes (laughs) and I've got some young friends who've been really encouraging 
and I've taken so long to write this book, but every now and then they say, have you finished the book yet? We can't wait to see what happens next because it's the third book in a series and they've got to know the characters and they want more adventures. And I'm going to feel so disappointed if they're disappointed. Yes. I want them to read it and say, hey, that was really good. Not for my sake, but so they'll say, oh, you're a really good writer. But because of the experience of reading it, that, that, that I think that I want them to think, wow, I really enjoyed that and it was worth waiting for and I've pleased them. Yes. So that's why I, I'm hoping it will be okay. But yeah, I'll be humble. If it's not right, I'll change it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my book, The Angels of Wallaby Way, which is finished, going out to a few readers in the next day or two and hopefully will be published shortly after. So what's on our next list? Oh, what other things we've been doing, Imogen? So I said top of my priority list has been my community or our community, the stories of uns- of what was it? Stro- <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Forgot me. that I have your own community. <laughs> well, I haven't been to my blog for a long time. Haven't been podcasting. It's not rolling off my tongue. The stories of an unschooling family community. Um, yeah, we were supposed to end the community today imagine oh yeah <laughs> i when i um set the community up what i wanted to do was get, have a year where people could come to the community for free and we could continue some of the conversations that started with my books and i thought well a year a year's a good time isn't it i i paid the hosting fees and i invited people to come and i thought we'll have loads of conversations over the year we could do absolutely um, you know, some absolutely wonderful things in a year. So when it came to just before Christmas, I thought, look, we got three months left. I said in the community, uh, our time is coming to an end. Uh, what would we like to do in the last three months? Do you know what they all said? Well, not at all, but do you know what some people said? What did they say? <laughs> they <laughs> said, oh, do we have to close the community? <laughs> Uh, they said they didn't realize that um, it was only for a year. And I said, yes, well, I can't really afford the hosting fees for another year. It's, it's really expensive doing hosting fees for podcasting, hosting fees for blogs, for communities, equipment for podcasting, all sorts of things. Uh, all this sort of thing is free for people to use, but not free for the person who actually produces so I said, no, I, I really can't afford it. I would like to do it, but I can't. And so what did they say, Imogen? Like, we'll pay for it for you. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was so wonderful. I mean, I couldn't, it's such a amazing feeling knowing that I've created something that people want to continue doing, but not only want to, it to continue, but they'll pay for it, which seems a bit unbelievable. I guess it's a bit like, the difference between offering your books for free or your blog for free and having people come and buy stuff from you saying this is worth something yes so we talked lots of ideas over and at the moment the community is being supported by membership donations and yes we're going strong we might come to a time when i'll do a membership plan like a monthly fee but at the moment uh, we're doing donations and then I thought well there's members who don't donate and there's members who have really uh really 
you have donated, I suppose. I'm trying to find. And something. they stepped up to support in a big way. Yeah, in a big way, a very generous way. And even though they didn't expect anything extra, they said, Sue, just keep on doing what you're doing. We'll pay. I was sort of overwhelmed by all the generosity. And I thought, no, 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 I've got to do something special for the people who are supporting the community. So I created a special group within the community called Unschool Plus. Yeah, taking a, a leaf out of Disney's book there. <laughs> if it's good enough for Disney, it's good enough for us. <laughs> That's right. And I've been putting some extras in that group, Unschool Plus. Uh, what have I been doing? I'm putting some of my unschooling challenges in there because the challenges are very popular. Every week we have a challenge and it's something that will help us all, or not us anymore because we're finished, but people to turn unschooling ideas and principles into reality in their lives. And we've been having some really good discussions and trying things out because of these unschooling challenges. So I'm going to put some extra ones of those in the Unschool Plus group. Also, I've been vlogging and making ebooks and oh, doing other posts such as some record keeping things. And um, real life maths, that's what I'm concentrating on at the moment, discovering real life maths in all sorts of situations in our lives. Uh, so that, yeah, that's what I've been doing in Unschool Plus, but that takes me on to vlogging. <laughs> that's another big thing I've been doing. I've been trying out some vlogs in my gen, and I know that's sort of putting another idea into practice, you know, stop podcasting, stop <laughs> vlogging. I've taken up. Stop, did I say blogging? I get blogging and vlogging in a in a, a muddle. Stopped podcasting, stopped blogging, but I took up vlogging. But that was because it was to do with the community. And but then again, after I'd made a few vlogs, I actually put a couple up on YouTube. And I think all my subscribers on YouTube must have fallen over backwards in surprise. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, the channel lives. <laughs> yes, Sue lives. She has a, hasn't posted anything for months and months and months. And wow, here's a vlog. And not only one vlog, here's two vlogs. But I suppose that's what podcasters could be thinking, uh, listeners could be thinking, isn't it? <laughs> Where does she go? She's still around. And um, yeah. So what's on my list, Imogen? That was all those sort of things. You got anything personal that you want, uh, you know, work-wise you want to talk about? Well, I thought you had a lovely story to tell us about what happened the other day. Oh, yes. Imogen and I, on our list, what have we been doing? What have we been doing as far as our personal work goes? What have we, we been doing as a family? And you might remember that last time we met, we were talking about risque stories, weren't we? We were, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Going to hotel motels and, yes, having motel managers come through the door at inopportune moments and inappropriate moments <laughs> you'll have to go back and listen to that episode if you want to find out more but yes a risque story so I said to Imogen this morning what stories could I tell because I like telling stories do you like well we both like stories don't we we're both writers stories are our thing so well, we have a story that happened a few days ago maybe three or four days ago mm. yeah not not so long ago and we've been having a lot of rain recently, haven't we? We have. It's been rather lovely. Lots of lots of grey, misty days and a few big storms. We had a, big, a couple of big storms this week. 
Yes, well, that's what I was doing. I was on my computer and I was checking the weather and it said severe weather warning, heavy rain forecast and our driveway. It slopes downwards, doesn't it, from the road towards the garage. And if we have too much rain, it runs off the road, down the driveway and under the garage door and floods everything. But we do have a drain in front of the garage door. And if it's clear, uh, sometimes the rain actually drains away. So I rushed outside. I took the grates off the drain, cleared out all the mud and the leaves. I thought, yes, we're, we're prepared. All prepared for the, for the storm. Nothing could possibly go wrong. That's right. So I went back inside, started writing again, got my head down there in the computer. Rain started falling and I thought, yeah, we're fine. Keep working. And all of a sudden there was an explosion and oh, a horrific deafening noise and lots of light. And I just jumped to my feet, went to the window and looked out. And this gum tree on the edge of the road right outside our house was alight. Flames oh, roaring through it. And for people who live in a bushfire danger zone, I mean, I just ran out and said, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> Emergency services, we got a fire on the tree outside. And oh, any other year that fire would have raced through our garden and headed towards the house. And that was what I was thinking right at that moment, Imogen. As the rain was pouring down on top of you, <laughs> that was what you were thinking in that moment. Exactly. <laughs> it was raining so hard. Yes, but I, I, I was in bushfire danger mode. So I grabbed the phone, zero, zero, zero. We have a fire in the tree. And then he says, but where are you? I said, oh, yeah, and I told him where we were. He says, that's fine. He says, I'll, ring the, I'll get the fire brigade onto that. So I uh, got put through to the fire brigade, told them where we were and what was happening, and I was looking outside. He wanted to know whether the power lines were down because that's the next danger, and I said, no. I said, no, just this tree alight and all, this, um, all these flames racing up and down, all this smoke. He says, right, we'll send a, um, a crew out. So I put the phone down, rushed outside, walking around and around, around, around this tree, <laughs> thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And then the flames, they got down by the heavy rain, of course. <laughs> and then I started to think, oh, look, what if the fire's out by the time the RFS get here? Won't I look stupid? <laughs> and I don't know about you, Imogen, but years ago, well, it might happen, might happen to you still when you go to the doctor, but years ago I used to take kids to the doctors and they were really, really sick as we got in the car, right? And you sit in the waiting room and by the time you got to the doctor, everybody had recovered. And you'd think, oh, look, I'm really stupid bringing children down. The doctor would say, well, there's nothing much wrong. You just have to go home and have some rest. And I think, oh, the doctor thinks I'm really paranoid and I'd go home and think oh just an overreactive mother and I was thinking that about this tree the RFS are going to come along and they're going to say why did you call us out the fire's gone out can't you see it's raining so half of me was hoping the fire would stay alight a little <laughs> to make it worth their time just to vindicate you yeah. anyway Chuck comes roaring down the street well it came out quite slowly no no hooters no alarms they were seem, don't, didn't seem to be in any trouble any yeah. hurry it was one tree in the middle of a rainstorm you know <laughs> they stopped in the middle of the road they I don't know how many people there at least four or five they unwound their hoses 
I told them where the fire was. By that time, there was smoke, but the, the flames had sort of died down. And surprisingly to me, they spent a long time hosing that tree down because I think that they were afraid the fire had gone inside the tree and you could still see the smoke coming out. Mm. And I said, look, I pointed to the hose on the ground and I said, I probably could have got the garden hose out and doused that. He said, no. He said it needed uh, the RFS to come out because... Uh, these fires can smolder inside the tree and you never know when they're going to uh, reappear. Like you, the rain stops, it gets warm, and all of a sudden the fire. They can live inside trees for days and days. When we had the big bushfires last summer, um, and you know, in the aftermath of that, I had a friend who would go out every single day and she would be looking for spot fires to put out. She'd travel with water in her in her truck and she'd be checking for spot fires. And she found a a stump that looked like it had been put out. They'd put everything else out around it. And it was just burning underneath, inside the root system, inside the ground. And it was so hot that when she tried to throw water on it, it just spat and was just it was just like a nest of snakes of but it was fire and it was just there was nowhere to put that out. You had to get the 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 RFS in to do that one so I'm not surprised they were concerned about making sure it was out yes especially as it is summer and it doesn't take long for trees to dry out so I was really quite thankful that I had caught them out in the end because we don't want a smoldering fire outside our house do we no <laughs> anyway I said to the one of the RFS firefighters I thanked him for coming out and he told me that I'd done the right thing. And I said, uh, makes a change from fighting bushfires, doesn't it? Which this could have caused a bushfire if it had been a different sort of season. But we've had a lot of rain and the temperatures have been cooler. But it really uh, made me very aware of how our bushfires begin in summer, how a lightning strike can start a fire in the middle of the bush in a dry tree and before you know it it has spread all the way through the bush and it's out of control because that's exactly how our big bushfire started the the one that nearly took us all out what they reckoned was a lightning strike out in the middle of a national park in the middle of a storm and it would have and it would have sat inside the tree for a while until it dried out and just taken off so that was the bushfires of what Oh, 2019, 2020, that summer, so just over a year ago. Um, it seems so much longer than that, doesn't it? It does. 2020 was a very long year. When we say last summer, you think, wow, was that only a year ago? Because of COVID, you know, all our attention had suddenly got redirected, didn't it? We went from one disaster to another. <laughs> 2020 was the year of every single unexpected thing you could possibly think of happening all at once. Yes, because 2020 for us started with, with bushfires. Right, they didn't go out till February. And by the time February came, COVID had arrived so that we passed from one to the other. Uh, but we didn't sort of expect COVID to last so long. But... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Shows what we know about pandemics. <laughs> yeah, so I shouldn't laugh about that one. But I think sometimes you do because life does get overwhelming sometimes and you can get so depressed about things. You've got to stay positive, haven't you? We've got one positive. We've had a good summer. Not a single bushfire, except in our tree. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, 
I wasn't actually home when this happened. I was at work and I came home in the afternoon and it just looked like a hand grenade had gone off in the trees. <laughs> and it was, it, it was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, all the, there's still some branches up there that are dangling and they are a danger. And half the tree fell on one of the cars and, you know, there's, sh- there's shrapnel everywhere. We had to go out afterwards and sweep the driveway, get all the sticks and stuff off it so you can park again and it's... Oh, well, it's still a bit over the garden, isn't it? It is. But... We're waiting for uh, the council to send out a crew to inspect the tree, to remove all those loose branches and declare it safe. Uh, I hope they don't take the tree out because I like looking at that tree. I can see it from the living room and it's just part of my view. But it has a piece of RFS tape around it now. Yes, one singular piece of red and white tape wrapped around the trunk. So we are 100% safe. Because we have safety tape. <laughs> Our tree is, yeah, got tape around it. People are keep coming along the road and having a look at the tape and then having a look at the tree. Um, yeah, but it's not the first fire that I have rung the RFS about. Do you know that? Which other one did you ring them about? Well, there's. I've discovered three fires in the bush while I've been running. Uh, two of them, I think, were lit by overnight campers, and that's illegal. You're not supposed to camp down in the bush overnight. And they'd had a campfire and it hadn't gone out. You know, what we were talking about, it smoulders for a while. They think it's out and they go away, and then I came along in the morning um, to discover it had reignited both times. Both times I put it out myself. I went home and got a, a shovel and got sand and stomped it all out the third time uh it was a fire started by the council in a lot of a big pile of wood they had knocked down uh chopped down trees to make more car park piled them all up set fire to it which doesn't seem the right thing to do in the edge of the bush does it (laughs) and had burnt it and then thought it, it had gone out and it hadn't and i was running and i saw flames coming out of it and i looked where the pile of wood was, the fire was, and where the bush was, and I went straight back home and rang. I didn't ring 000 that time. I don't know who I rang, but I was calmer, and I got time to get the the directory out and ring. You probably looked up the local RFS station and rang that one. Probably I rang the council, and they put Mm. me onto it. And anyway, they sent the RFS down. Took them a long time to come. I thought, yes, they're, <laughs> they're literally only a couple of hundred meters up the road. You can walk to the station. It's not that yeah, far. Yeah, but they, they don't sit there waiting for people to, <laughs> to report a fire. They're all ordinary people. Not ordinary people. They're, they're superstars. But they have ordinary jobs as well as their jobs as firefighters. So from what I know, what I heard, uh, everybody they send out a call when to all the firefighters and they see who's available to come out to a fire when they're needed. So they have to actually gather people together and they have to get to the station. They have to float up the truck and then they have to go out. So it doesn't, it doesn't happen like an ambulance, but ambulances take a while too, don't they? (laughs) Um, So yeah, we're, uh, I've got some experience with fire. (laughs) Also got some experience with panicking last time. Right, that's my family story. You got any stories? How about a Sophie story? Yes, I, th- I thought maybe people would like an update on Sophie because we haven't talked about her since October, which was when you and Dad went up to visit her. So who's Sophie? Sophie, one of my younger sisters, second from the bottom. She's 19 <laughs> and she moved away to manage a cafe 
as she was staying with my older brother Callum. Um, and probably her biggest news is that she has moved into her very first house of her own. And got her own dog. Yes, of course. That is the first thing you do. She's still sleeping on a fold-out bed that, if you try and get up in a hurry, will fold up with you inside it. But rather than buying a bed, she has bought a dog. <laughs> get your priorities right. <laughs> but she's enjoying it up there, isn't she? She's very, very busy with the cafe. Now, when she, she came home... When did she come home? She came home in early January, so maybe the second week of January. Or I think it was maybe the 12th to the 20th or something. She was home for just over a week, I think. And she flew down um, from north. It's not a very – it's really strange, isn't it? It takes you – well, it takes us. You've never driven it, but I haven't driven it either. Dad drove. (laughs) It takes us eight hours at least to get there by car. But it takes hardly any time at all in the plane. And though Dad had to pick her up at the airport and they almost set out exactly the same amount of time. She's eight hours drive away and she sets out for the airport north and Dad sets out to go to Sydney Airport. And um, it's about an hour and a half on on either direction. So you meet up in the middle. Exactly. But the distance is enormous. (laughs) Yeah. And when he... took her to take her home he went into Sydney dropped her and before he got home she was home (laughs) (laughs) even though she had a long way to travel so plane travel is wonderful but expensive this is true it's even more expensive now because so many fewer people are traveling by plane so if you want to get on a plane you can get a seat definitely because there's not many people on the plane but boy do you have to pay for it yeah just um what was I thinking about that one uh, I don't know. But, yeah, well, was it very, very expensive for her to come home? I was very, very shocked by the amount. And I think that has something to do with the border, state border closures as well. The plane couldn't go over the border into Queensland, which was its usual run, and so that it was restricted. They, they weren't carrying as many passengers. Yes, because when you can only travel around the state, there's only so many planes that will go out at that point. You've not not going as far, not taking as many passengers. So to make it viable, they really do have to hike the prices up. And when she came, Imogen, you might remember that Sydney was declared a hotspot because we had a few COVID cases in Sydney. Yes, that was when the northern beaches were going through their thing and everywhere was like, yes, let's, let's shut everything down again, quick, let's catch it. And so restrictions were higher, not in not in our area, but in the what was called the Greater Sydney Area, which wasn't Greater Sydney at all. <laughs> it, was so it was a huge area. Well, they had, it was a long way from Sydney, but we were very fortunate it didn't cover cover us. We were literally five minutes from the border of Greater Sydney, and in my cafe we had some customers come through, and the and they were and, and they were like, we live three kilometres from the edge of Greater Sydney, and they were so mad because they were nowhere near the Greater Sydney cluster. They never travelled to Sydney. Most of the people around them didn't go to those places in Sydney, but they were Greater Sydney, and they were not happy. No, because the restrictions were higher for them. But one of the restrictions were um, involved masks. Masks had to be worn in all indoor areas, including the airport. So we had to find some masks, didn't we, to give to Dad. And Charlotte went to the airport too. And they had to put the masks on before they could go into the airport. And Dad just, he was so amazed. He walked into the airport and I said, were there crowds of people there? 
and he said there wasn't anybody yeah <laughs> there was just Sophie waiting for him he didn't need the mask but I have never been to Sydney airport when there's when it's been empty it's you go to the airport normally and there's crowds and crowds of people yes I've I've been there when it's been in full um operation and actually my boss at work has just come back from a holiday and she flew out she flew back and she said it is the eeriest experience being in the airport because there's just nobody and it's it's like when you go to a shopping center and it's like really early or really late and there's nobody there and it's just big and empty and you're like I shouldn't be here (laughs) and that's the feeling you get yes well, anyway, Sophie came home for a week, didn't she? She did. And while she was home, I wrote a few posts about graduate in inverted commas because nobody graduates from unschooling, really. Graduate unschoolers, meaning I wrote about uh, well, uh, her experiences of being an unschooler who has officially finished homeschooling. Yes, no yes. registered homeschooling anymore. And I didn't post those on my blog because, well, for two reasons. I haven't been blogging. And also, I felt it was easier to post them in a private place, share her stories in a smaller community. And I wrote a number of those posts, and uh, people were very interested to hear all her news. Uh, But one of the stories I wrote about Imogen was her difficulty in finding a place to live. Because, first of all, she put an application in for this little house. Uh, perfect for one person she went to see it just perfect it was uh in her price range and she really wanted it so she put in an application and nothing happened and she didn't hear back and then she, she rang them up and said you know I haven't heard about my application and they said oh look we haven't even looked at your application because Elvis uh, Sophie Elvis is a made-up name <laughs> Oh, the problems of this last name. <laughs> and they wouldn't even look at it. And she said, oh, well, I'm, I'm a real person. I work at, you know, the cafe and all that. She went to her boss, who is very well known in the area, and told her her problems. And her boss said, what, come on, I'm going down with you. And she marched Sophie down to the real estate agent and said, this is my employee, my manager of the cafe, and she needs somewhere to live. <laughs> and she said, she's putting an application in. And they, I think by that time, they told Sophie also that as she's only 19, uh, they, she was too young. They weren't going to consider it. Anyway, after the manager, after not the manager, the um, cafe the owner, her boss, yes, went down and kicked up a fuss about the fact they weren't treating Sophie fairly, that they weren't even looking at her application because they had preconceived ideas about her. First of all, she wasn't a real person. And secondly, she was too young. Uh, They looked at her application after that. (laughs) And I thought it was really sad that young people aren't taken seriously. Yeah? Yes. At 19, she is more than capable of renting a place of her own. I mean, if you're a legal adult, which you are at 18, then legally you should have the same rights and the same chance of renting somewhere as anyone else just because you're on the younger end does not mean that you're not capable if you're a legal adult in other ways what's the difference with real estate well she earns enough money to pay the rent and she's a mature person Mm. and as sophie as her boss said if you 
you won't find anyone quieter than Sophie. I mean, it's not <laughs> as if she's going to have any wild parties in in the um, the place. But I think, yeah, young people get uh, labelled troublemakers or party goers or whatever too easily, don't they? They do. Irresponsible. But anyway, that's Sophie. Anything you want to say about Sophie? Oh, those uh, posts, as I said, are in my community. If you'd like to read them, if you're a community member, please look under the topic Graduate Unschooler. If you're not a community member but would like to, then please hop over. I'll leave a link in the show notes and join us. So what else, Emma Jim? Do you suppose there's anything else you want to say about that? I think that covered everything we wanted to say about Sophie. That's Looking at the time, I think we've just got time to talk about some what have we been watching and what have we been reading. Quick speed round. <laughs> talk fast. <laughs> Always happens, doesn't it? We sit here, we start we start on the first topic and then before you know it's been nearly an hour and we haven't got on to the second point. I know, we get carried away with what we're talking <laughs> about, don't we? All right, let's I'll let you go first. What have we been watching? What have you been watching? So what I have been watching is Firstly, uh, the new Disney Plus show One Division, um, from the you know f- about the Marvel superheroes uh, Scarlet Witch and the Vision, um, which is the first TV show that they've started making for the superheroes. They've got a whole bunch more planned. I think there's at least four more coming out this year. And I think initially we were all just a bit hmm because the concept is all based around sitcoms. And for one thing, our family's not into sitcoms at all. It's not our style of show. It's not our style of humour. You know, you get the ads play on TV and we're just sitting there going, is that supposed to be funny? Like, That's where they have the canned laughter. <laughs> I know, it's just canned laughter so you know when it's supposed to be funny. Obviously, it's a very popular um, TV, you know, type of TV show and it's not saying anything bad about it. But for us, it's just not something that has ever appealed. Like, you know, you've got The Office which is one of the most popular sitcoms ever. And I actually tried a couple of episodes of that and I was sitting there going, I'd rather go and watch something else, honestly. Like, this is not, this is not holding me. It's not my kind of thing. So, and... Because yes. we prefer weird and wacky, don't we? When you feel thinking about humour, yes, a bit. The more off, it... off, off the uh, scale somewhere <laughs> that other people look at and think, oh, is that funny? <laughs> so yeah. So firstly, having it be about sitcoms, and then having it be about superheroes inside sitcoms, which is like, no, no, this is never going to work. But it has been surprisingly good. Like it's, it's so clever and so genuinely funny. And that it's like, wow, how do you come up with this? Because it's not really a sitcom. The sitcom is a, is a device inside the show. Like I won't spoil what it's what exactly it is, but it's it's just so funny watching them take these characters, put them in this situation, you know, this constructed situation, and then just watching them take off all these eras of sitcoms because they go over like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You can identify the sitcoms that they're that they're parodying. Every single one has its own starting sequence and theme song. Was it? They're going, oh, I want to see the theme song for this one. It's it's been so good. Well, I watched one episode, but I came in in the middle, and I didn't really understand who everybody was, and that always puts me off. Yeah, you know what I mean. That yes. I, I did that with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but somehow I managed to keep going and I got the hang of it. And then I got um, hooked on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But And I really want to watch the last two or three seasons, which we haven't got. I was so disappointed that Disney Plus only has season one. 
and um, yeah, I like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But yes, I didn't quite get it. I mean, we got Disney Plus. I can go back and watch it if I really want to. But what I really want, another series, Imogen, that I want to talk about, which again, I came in in the middle of and didn't get the hang of it. Because I don't know why you didn't tell me you were starting it in the beginning. <laughs> and I sort of took the half, oh, look, you didn't ask me to come and see it. <laughs> oh, you can blame Dad for this one because he just comes up, at, you know, at, at random times like, hey, I found this thing. Do you want to watch it? And we'll just we'll just watch it at the moment. He's like, yep, I want to watch this now. So he he doesn't plan anything. And he doesn't invite people very often. So it's just like, okay, I guess we're doing this. <laughs> he doesn't say, look, we'll wait till tomorrow and ask mum if she'd like to watch it as well. Or no. let's call Gemma <laughs> Roses in the bedroom and see if she wants to watch it. <laughs> but anyway, the next one, Imogen, the one that, uh, that I didn't get hold of either because I watched one episode and didn't know what, what was happening. And I, I got frustrated and I gave up. I just walked off and did something else. But you enjoyed it. Yes. So that is um, Truth Seekers, which is a show on Amazon Prime, um, which is and it's created by Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, which I think if anyone has seen any of their movies, obviously Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, you know, it's it's very out there, very almost almost like low budget. Well, Shaun of the Dead was low budget. And it's just hilarious. British hum- humour? Yes. Um, so the truth seekers, the concept is um, you have the best Wi-Fi installation person in Britain, and and he and he also thinks he's a ghost hunter. So he's going around and installing Wi-Fi. He, yeah, he's he's bringing the best Wi-Fi network online, but also he's investigating ghosts and other supernatural experiences. He has a, he has a YouTube channel. He definitely thinks he's a great YouTuber, and it's just. And and he's just this big overweight man in a in a cardigan and a knitted beanie, and he just he is the least heroic um, hero you've ever seen. But it's just it's so funny. <laughs> it's very short. It's only like six or seven episodes. It's e- really easy to watch, but it's so good. Are they making any more? Yes, we're pretty sure there's um uh, going to be a second season, but we don't know when it's going to come out yet. I don't know if that's been released or not but we're keeping our eye out because yeah anything that involves Nick Frost and Simon Pegg doing their own thing in a in a movie or a show is going to be very good so you would recommend WandaVision and The Truth Seekers yes so that's what you've been binge watching recently oh yes (laughs) because we were talking last time I think about binge watching you know watching episodes from beginning to end what I'm finding frustrating is getting to the last episode of the series and knowing there's no more because some productions have ceased because of COVID. Yes, um, or, or that they've been, you know, just outright cancelled because of because of things like COVID. It's like, but I want some more now. This needs some more and we're not getting any. Yes, well, I hope The Crown uh, does the next ser- is able to do the next series without any problems because they've come to the end of those and, yes, they were good. So that's... I don't, can't even remember when I was watching those. It's been so long ago since we talked. Um, did we even talk about that before? I feel like we've touched on The Crown before. So I won't repeat all that, but we'll move straight on. I haven't sort of watched any series recently, but I have been watching Masterclass videos. And so have you, haven't you? Yes. Now, just before Christmas, uh, I was, um, what's the word? Not taken in, but... You know when they put ads out there with a special offers image and then you can't resist? Like, oh, I've got to, I will at least go and have a look at this. You know, that sounds really good. Can't be that good, but I'll have a look. I, 
they're good advertising and yes. you get caught. Maybe that's the word. And I saw an ad for Masterclass and I had seen it before, but there was a special offer, uh, buy one membership and receive one to give away. And then I did a little bit of, you know, real life maths and thought, well, that's going to cost half as much for two people, isn't it? Yeah. That's really good value. <laughs> so I said to dad, I would really love a masterclass membership for Christmas. But this was, oh, I don't know, early December. And I thought, you've got to take advantage of these offers when they happen. It's no good waiting to Christmas because the offer might have been gone. So I got caught twice because <laughs> yeah. it at Christmas, I think the offer was still going, but they make you feel like you've got to join up it's today. It's limited time. Do it now, otherwise you'll miss out. <laughs> exactly. But the good thing was, by the time Christmas came, everybody had forgotten that I'd had my Christmas present. <laughs> so you just got a whole bunch more Christmas presents. <laughs> That's right. It's sneaky. But it always it worked in your favor because <laughs> I gave the free account to you. So we've been watching Masterclass videos. All sorts of people. Come on, Limitin, tell us a few people. Um, I've got everyone from James Patterson and I think Margaret Atwood. These are the writers. Yep. Um, other people's like um, Sarah Blakely who founded Spanx, the you know the underwear company. It's got so many people. Um, oh, who are those famous magicians? No, I don't know. Uh, Penn and Teller, I think. I think that's the ones I'm talking about. Um, they're on there. There's a whole range of people. Uh, there's there's a guy who talks about sleep, and there's people. Who Matthew talk- Walker. Mm. I did that one because I don't sleep very well. <laughs> <laughs> Still not sleeping very well, but but I enjoyed his course very much. It all made a lot of sense, so it was a bit frightening too to to see what are the health problems that you can have if you have a lack of sleep. But I'm not going to digress there. But yeah, there are a lot of um, people that are experts in their field, whether it's writing or acting. Serena Williams is there from tennis and there's a gymnast and there's cooks, or I shouldn't say cooks, chefs. Uh, musicians, comedians, people who, for, um, who are experts in communication, business people, entrepreneurs, everything. Yes, yeah, so the only, oh, there's one photographer. I would like some more photographers on there and artists. I would love to dip my toes into some art, but they're getting new um, classes every month aren't they so I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure they'll add more art and photography in the future but in the meantime the catalog they have at the moment is actually very robust so it's it's because i knew about this when it first launched as well but there were so few classes that it was, you looked at and went why, why would you pay that much money for six classes and now there's such a wide range like yes this is worth paying a membership for and there's more than enough classes, even if they don't add any more, to keep us busy for much more longer than a year. Oh, yeah. A few years, I reckon. <laughs> so what have you finished so far? I've only finished one class so far. I did the Sarah Blakely class on entrepreneurship, which was interesting. Got a few takeaways out of that one, which I hopefully be trying out at some point. Um, and I'm currently working on a writing class from James Patterson. Yeah, because each uh, class has a number of videos and then they have some very, very comprehensive notes to download, don't they? Yes, which is great because if you haven't taken enough notes during the video, everything's covered in the in their comprehensive um, class notes and then you can just go back through that. Plus, I think they have like extra things in there as well, or at least expanded on certain things. Which they is... do. Uh, for example, I've done the Neil Gaiman uh, writing course 
and his notes give you all sorts of recommendations for other videos, other books, all sorts of other things to think about. You could spend months just doing the Neil Gaiman workshop if you I wanted to do it in depth. You see what I mean? I mean, yeah. I didn't follow up everything, but I could have done. Uh, so I've done the Neil Gaiman and I've done the Matthew Walker sleep uh, videos, but I've got too many ideas to sleep. Sleep is just uh, a bother. <laughs> I go to bed with my head buzzing and I want to continue working and it's inconvenient. I've got to go to bed. And so I keep I go to bed and I keep thinking about all the things I want to do the next day, um, which is a nuisance because I don't get to sleep. And when I get up the next day, I think, oh, oh no, I can't do all those things I was thinking about. I'm too today. tired <laughs> to do all the things that I wanted to do. <laughs> but I can't sort of chase all those ideas out of my head when I'm supposed to sleep. It's yeah. very, very hard. But anyway, Neil Gaiman, can we talk about that just a little bit to round off? We've just got to the hour, another 10 minutes, and we'll be done. I think we can manage another 10 minutes. And as we probably be um, not podcasting again for a little while, um, give p- other people can watch it in bits. We'll give you a couple of weeks to catch up. All right. Now, Neil Gaiman. Yes, I was reading some of his books because I hadn't read any of his books up to that point and I didn't really know who Neil Gaiman was. I don't know how I got onto his course, but I really enjoyed his way of speaking and sharing his ideas for writing and then I started reading his books, including Coraline and The Graveyard Book. I haven't finished The Graveyard Book, but I was hooked the first paragraph this is a description of this black this knife and the knife kills the mother and the father and the children all except for the baby and I just thought this is the children's book (laughs) (laughs) it was really sort of uh gripping and scary at the same time and I thought I'm scared and I'm an adult what is a child thinking I'm scared, but I want to go on. Exactly. Keep talking to me. Come on. What, what, what you got? <laughs> yeah, so I, he, he read out the first page or so during one of the classes. This is why I went and got the book. Out of, I borrowed it. I'm still reading it off borrow bucks. But yes, talk about a gripping opening and also talk about, is this suitable for kids? <laughs> and... The very last video, I think, in the class, I think it was the last one, or maybe it was the second last one, Neil Gaiman Gaiman was talking about the responsibilities of authors uh, because he's had a lot of criticism uh, from parents who say, you shouldn't be writing this sort of stuff for our kids. It's a bad influence. Now, he did, if I get the facts right, I'm really good at... um, enjoying stuff and forgetting all the facts, you know, and then I say, oh, I've got a really good story. And I can't remember all the facts. And people think, look, get your facts straight before you start talking. Like, Is this a really good story if you can't remember the details, woman? <laughs> yeah, well, it would have been a good story if I could have remembered it. But anyway, he wrote a book. Um, not don't know what it was called. And some somebody committed suicide, right? I don't think it was a child, a young person. I don't know. It wasn't a child. And the book was left next to him, or was with him, and uh, it was sort of like inferring that Neil Gaiman's book led, the ideas in the book led to the suicide of this person. And Neil Gaiman was upset. He said, I was really upset for a whole weekend. And I thought, only a weekend? And then he said, but then it came to light that somebody had murdered 
this person and had left Neil Gaiman's book by the body uh, as a framing, you know, he'd framed him and the book had nothing to do with the death. And so Neil Gaiman breathed easily again, but then he thought about his responsibilities as an author. How is he affecting kids? And he said, a lot of parents say that we shouldn't expose our kids to horror or anything that's not nice, you know, just project the world as perfect, say, and write nice stories. And he says, well, that's not the way the world is, is it? Kids are going to grow up and find out there are a lot of terrible things happening in the world. And even in the world of a child, things aren't perfect. You can't keep your children in, in a bubble. You agree? Yeah. And he said the books give children an opportunity to explore the things that they will come in contact with one day. They can explore them in a safe way. You can talk about things with your parents. You can process it all in little bites along the way. And what do you think of that idea, Imogen? I think I, I, I would agree with that. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Mm. So you're giving actually kids the tools to deal with the world that they are growing into. In a much safer way than just throwing them in the deep end and going, this is how the world is, deal with it. Which is what usually happens when they get older. Yeah, so kids then, when they get older, suddenly find out the world isn't quite like their parents uh, told them it was. Yes. And they have no resources to deal with it. Yeah, so this led to a conversation in our community about Neil Gaiman and horror stories. And I think we all agreed that our kids do need to be exposed if they want to be exposed, of course, to things that are a little bit scary and talk about issues that aren't quite um, as happy, maybe, as we'd like. And also, in some way, we all get a bit of a thrill from being scared, don't we? Because we know it's safe (laughs) that the movie's going to end or the book's going to end, but it gives us... uh, some safe way of dealing with those emotions. Yes, you can you can be thrilled by it and scared by it and enjoy the experience because you know it's not real, but at the same time you're experiencing it and you've got that frame of experience later down the track. Yeah. And also it means that, I, I also think it means that bad things don't always have such power now because you've seen bad things and like it's, not, it's definitely not as shocking anymore. But do you think that's a problem sometimes that we aren't shocked by the evil in the world as much? It's become second, you know, just ordinary to go out in the world and hear about murders and all sorts of other things that it fails to uh, evoke compassion or horror in us. I don't think that being aware of horror and, you know, having that frame of reference necessarily takes away from your ability to feel compassion and empathy but what I think it does is it makes it easier for you to deal with it in your own life because if you're if you're not you know if every single bad thing shocks you to your absolute core how are you supposed to deal with that how are you supposed to live like that you can't live in a constant state of like outrage and fear and horror every single day of your life you need to be aware of it and you need to hold on to your empathy and compassion. But at the same time, you can't live in that state. You're either going to go mad trying to live in it or you're going to retreat and refuse to come out into the world. Yeah, so you, so you need to be 
you need to have some level of, you know, being able to deal with it in order to be able to engage with it and, and, you know, to extend your compassion and empathy and do something or even just have the conversations around it. The other thing that Neil Gaiman said, though, was, especially this was about his book Coraline, which is a story about a little girl, roughly about eight, who discovers another mother behind a brick wall in her house. And the other mother has um, button eyes, black button eyes, and she tries to persuade Coraline she would be happier living with her rather than with the mother and father who won't let her do particular things. And he said that the main message in that story is how we can be brave. Yeah? Yes. That he told a story of a personal story of his own, and I'm going to have all the details wrong, and I wish I didn't because it was a good story. But I think he went out one day with his little kids, Neil Gaiman, it's a real story, and they were attacked by a swarm of bees. I think that was what it was. And he got bitten all over. And in the process of getting bitten and trying to save his kids, he, he told them to run, 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 and he stayed behind. You know, he tried to distract the bees. He lost his glasses. He went home and he and the kids got in the bath to uh, soothe all their bites. He had was covered in bites. The kids only had one or two. And he knew he'd have to go back and retrieve his glasses. He needed his glasses. And he said that it was he was acquired so much more courage to go back than he did the first time because the first time he was dumped in that situation. It happened and he had to deal with it. The second time he knew what was ahead of him but he, but he went anyway yes and he had to go and the similar things happens in Coraline he incorporated that story into Coraline and she had to make the decision to go back into danger to save her family she had to be brave and that's the message I think he said Coraline was all about is we can be brave we have the resources we can do it and so many times in life we do have to be brave don't mm. we so it was a really good story, a message. Um, it wasn't just a horror story. Let's go and shackle the kids. But I read the book and you watched the movie. Yes, I haven't read the book but, and you haven't watched it yet. So no. <laughs> we'll catch each other off in the middle. <laughs> so I enjoyed the book. Tell me about the movie. The movie, um, the movie was very good. I highly recommend watching it. It definitely captures that creepiness about it. Animated? Um, I believe it's Stop Go Animation rather than computer generated, which I, I think that actually heightens the whole the whole thing of it. And it's just got that something about seeing it, seeing those button eyes and, you know, and the smiling other mother that sort of heightens this whole horror feel to it. Um but yeah, definitely that message of bravery comes through. I think it's supposed to be a fairly uh faithful adaptation of it as well. Which is um, which which is good. Was Neil Gaiman involved in the movie version? I'm not sure about that. I'm not aware of that because he's a screenwriter as well. Yes. So maybe he wrote the screenplay for it. So yes, because he did um, Good Omens. That's right. The, um, the... He wrote the book with um, Terry Pratchett, and I think he was involved with the with the sorry it's... Amazon show. I think they made Amazon Prime. Mm. Yeah, which so... is which is also supposed to be very good. It's on my list to watch one day. Yes. So we've been, uh, well, I have been investigating Neil Gaiman and his books. And we went oh, book shopping maybe a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? 
and I bought a couple of books and brought them back and I'm, there were one what were they called I can't even remember one was there about pirate pirates a picture book and the other one was about milk a short chapter book but I gave them to dad hoping he'd use them with his um class at school <laughs> he's a kindy teacher but what shocked me Imogen was he took the pirate book to school right mm-hmm. and he says I've started reading it with the kids it says it's, it rhymes he says just what we need I said did you read the book to the end by yourself and he says no we're reading it together and I thought oh I hope there's nothing in it <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing shocking in this. <laughs> he does have a kindergarten class. <laughs> exactly. How does he know it's suitable for kindies? <laughs> He's very trusting. <laughs> I know it wouldn't matter if the kindies were his, but parents tend to be a bit more fussy. It's like, what are you reading my kids at school? <laughs> so we're talking about fussy parents. One last thing, Imogen. Uh, years ago, uh, I think it was Felicity, who she's the oldest in the family, and she was reading a book which she really enjoyed and she thought she'd lend it to a friend and she didn't tell me. She gave it to the friend and then one day uh, we came home from that friend's place and she had the book back almost instantly. And I said, well, what happened? And um, she, says, um, I, she says, oh, I lent this book to blah, 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 whoever it was. But they weren't allowed to read it. The father said it wasn't suitable and he had to give, he or she had to give the book back. And then I thought, oh, I gave, um, my children are reading unsuitable books. <laughs> and other parents uh, wouldn't give those books to their kids to read. And I began to think, what are they thinking of me as a parent? I give my kids unsuitable books to read. And it really did. I thought there was nothing wrong with the book, but it really changes your thought pattern and I thought, they don't approve of me anymore. They think that my kids are, are reading and watching and doing things which aren't suitable. Perhaps they'll label them as bad company. And they won't want their kids associating with my kids. And that really worried me because I thought, what if we're ostracized and you lot don't have any friends because we get the reputation of being the family that you can't trust. They, they're, they're into all sorts of unsavory things and things that aren't suitable for kids. Do you understand? Yeah. So... I didn't know what to do. So I thought, look, I'll just tell everybody, don't tell anybody what you're reading and watching. Keep it all at home. (laughs) (laughs) Because I couldn't see what was wrong. I just, I think sometimes people do, parents especially, get too worried. And I know why people get worried. Because you want to do a perfect job bringing your kids up. And you don't want them to be exposed to anything that might harm them. So you make, oh, very strict rules. And you think, I've got to be firm. I've got to be a good parent. I don't, I'm not going to listen to my kids who say, oh, but such and such is reading it. The Elvises are reading it. <laughs> and you think, yeah. So we became secret watchers and secret readers. And you know what the funny thing is, Imogen? Over the years, everybody loosened up a bit. And st- they just caught up with us. We were already there. <laughs> it is, but parenting is hard. It's hard to be judged and it's hard knowing what to expose our kids to. It's hard on both sides. Uh, but we are very judgmental as parents, for other parents, and we are very defensive. And I think one of the hardest things to do is to be a parent, imagine. <laughs> but yeah, even now, if I post something in the community, I've read this or I've watched that, half of me, you know, there's a thought at the back of my mind thinking, 
what are people going to think? Yeah. I watched... Is it suitable? <laughs> exactly. Can I confess that I watched this or read that? What are they going to think of me? <laughs> so, yes, sharing recommendations for things is pretty tricky, isn't yeah. it? People do think certain things about you are based on what you allow into your home, what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. And But the discussions that come out of things, people, things don't have to be perfect as long as we talk about things. Do you agree with that one? Yeah. That you can, like, for example, if you were younger, well, even you now, we're sitting here talking about Coraline, aren't we? <laughs> but if you'd found the book when you were eight, we probably would, probably, I would have read it out loud. We would have yeah. t- talked about it. That absolutely would have been the sort of book that we would have read as a family and highly enjoyed. And then discussed later yeah. on. Yeah. Well, I've come to the end of my list, Emma. Jen, do you think that we discussed all that adequately? An hour and a quarter, just about. Well, hopefully it's adequately, and if not, I'm sure we can do some more next time. All right, next time we'll... uh, Anything we forgot to say, we can add to next time. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, Before we go, though, I'd like to just run down where people can find us. So where are you? I'm I'm on Instagram at writerewriteread. Um, I also have a website um, at imogenelvis.com, also called Write, Rewrite, Read. Um, and you can find me and my books on Amazon under Imogen Elvis. I write science fiction and fantasy stories for teenagers. And I've got the Instagram account, which is sorely neglected, <laughs> at Sue Elvis. I changed my name from Stories of an Unschooling Family to Sue Elvis because I found I wasn't always writing about unschooling, even though unschooling does sort of affect your whole lives. And I have a neglected blog, Stories <laughs> of an Unschooling Family, but we can have a post on there tomorrow, Imogen, or today. We got, depending on when I get this podcast edited, well, I sh- going. <laughs> shall put it on my blog and surprise everybody. And I'm also on YouTube. You might find a vlog there at Sue Elvis Podcast. Yep, it's going, <laughs> going again. And the biggest place where you'll find me, apart from my books, which are on Amazon, is the community, Stories of an Unschooling Family Community. And I hope if you haven't already joined us and you like the idea of talking about unschooling in a private place with people who are very accepting and friendly and gentle and we've got loads and loads of tips and ideas and stories between us that I hope are helpful. So that's about it Imogen. Oh where, where's that? Oh I'll put all the links in the show notes. It's a Mighty Networks community and books, Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love and a few other, a couple of um, children's novels and soon there'll be a third. Yes. Back to the books again. <laughs> so we just got to say goodbye. So goodbyes are the hardest bit I find. It's hard just to say goodbye and, and stop the recording. Sort of just go goodbye and thank you and then goodbye again and thank <laughs> you again. And oh, people just think, look, I'll just turn it off. There's no more. <laughs> That's it. We're just cutting it here. <laughs> yeah, just turn it off. Forget the last couple of minutes. So thank you for joining me today. And we will be back maybe in a couple of weeks. Yes, we should be able to. 
And next time we'll know what we're doing. We'll slide more gracefully into it. <laughs> Let us know if you enjoyed this. So we're encouraged to keep going. <laughs> Otherwise, we're recording this just for Noel. <laughs> Hello, Noel. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This one's just for you. <laughs> yes. And we'll thank everybody for listening. And yeah, we'll see everybody very soon. So do we have an ending? Do we have an ending? This is your podcast. <laughs> well, I can't remember. <laughs> Quick, make one up. <laughs> we used to have trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Oh, I think I know what it was. Live a radical life of unconditional love. <laughs> we'll have this more polish next time, I swear. <laughs> Thank you.